This is the Mark for Greatness podcast, the official podcast of the American Paint Horse Association, co-hosted by Dr. Billy Smith and Stephen Hayes, bringing you the latest and greatest of the paint horse world. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Mark for Greatness podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen Hayes, and along with me again is the great Dr. Billy Smith. Doc, we got a special guest with us today. Uh, she's just all things horse-related. Why don't you introduce our guest? Kelly Bowles Chapman has been in the horse business maybe since before she was born. Uh, and uh, there really are very few people who have the breadth of experience in the horse community. But more than that, Kelly... Uh, uh, sets on our board of directors is a vital piece to the board of directors and also is one of the few people who really has this very broad knowledge of uh, purebred animal background which includes everything from pigs to horses to cattle and i guess some sheep too right sometimes yep sometimes. yep so if they're on if it's on four legs uh, kelly knows something about it Ruminant and monogastric people, for sure. So. <laughs> you need to make a t-shirt with that on it. <laughs> well, Kelly, we're excited to have you here today. Thank you for taking the time to visit with us and tell a little bit about your background. Why don't you start by just kind of telling us what you do in the uh, everyday life and then uh, just kind of some of your horse experience. Sure. So uh, everyday life uh, is, is a little crazy. So I, I that's the kind of... Uh, uh, atmosphere that I like the environment. I like lots of things going at a time and, and routine is usually when you, when people talk about different things that give them stress, um, mundane routine is what gives me stress. So try the best I can to, to not, not enter that realm. Um, but, uh, currently we have a, a farm and, uh, we have right now there's several show pigs, um, and pens around this farm, including pens in the end of my indoor. And of course, um, our horses, um, and, so we, I, I judge and I show and I have customers that come and, and some that come just for coaching, some that show with us. And uh, then I'm also a, a consultant for a number of uh, nonprofits and um, ma- mainly for an organization called the Battle Creek Community Foundation and uh, Battle Creek Family YMCA. And I take on different projects and either manage those or evaluate those projects and I work on maximizing organizational efficiency and other fundraising and philanthropy initiatives. Right. What's the what's the total critter count at your house? <laughs> uh, that would would that include the uh, number of dead woodchucks that three Jack Russells brought to my porch, my deck today? <laughs> no. so let's just say living. Let's just go for living critters. To, oh, total living domesticated critters. I did uh, four dogs that live in the house. Three Jack Russell or Russells that you all often see. One that travels with me constantly. There's uh, maybe the, the horse count ranges um, on, on weekly, daily, I don't know, 11, I'm trying not to go over 15. Uh, I don't know how many market hogs are out there right now, but they all get walked every day. And, um, some cattle, actually some a goat project, that initiative I was trying out. We, those are at our other farm down at my dad's about a mile away. So. Oh, that's awesome. Cabrito. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm hoping will be awesome. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, we have that. Around so here, lots so. of critters. Yeah. Lots, lots of, critters. of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hopefully most of them 
but you never know on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, well, second question you asked me there, Stephen, you asked me the uh, background. So I am just like any other, uh, grew up like many of you, um, a horse crazy farm kid from the Midwest uh, and, and did uh, horses in 4-H. Mom was my 4-H. I was fortunate to have not only her, but several others that were great role models for me in that, that realm. And uh, after some jobs around the country, uh, we lived back, my husband and I moved back to our, our farm here, but I graduated from Michigan State University. And then we went to Blacksburg, Virginia. My husband was recruited as the livestock judging and he went to grad school there as well. And, and I said, oh, he says, how about Virginia? And I said, well, isn't that Virginia? That's close to the ocean, isn't it? And he, you know, I didn't know where Blacksburg was at that point, some 30 some years ago. And actually, um, it turns out Michigan, where I live now, is probably closer to the ocean than Blacksburg, Virginia. I had, had a great time there. We managed the school program and taught lessons there for a while and then uh, went and took a position in the Department of Agricultural Economics at Virginia Tech and did my master's there and worked with a program called the Rural Economic Analysis Program. We called it REAP. <laughs> so it was great about, um, you know, about the conversion of uh, and advancement of rural economic programs uh, in, in in Virginia. And then uh, all of my, a lot of my mentors and idols had been, uh, worked in extension, um, university extension and, and had been involved with 4-H. So I became a county extension agent in Miami County, Ohio, which is Troy, Ohio. Great, great county, heavy, huge hog county, huge horse county. A lot of our great showmen today have actually come from that county, uh, which, was, which was very fun. Did that for a while and then got a call to come back to Michigan State as the extension youth horse specialist. I guess I forgot the stint in there a little bit, but I worked for a beef cattle association in, in Kansas, in Platte City, basically Kansas City, Missouri, for a guy named Bob Van Trees, a great mentor of ours. And jumped back to Michigan State, was extension youth horse specialist for a few years there, that, and then had an opportunity to go work for Purina Mills in sales. Did some a lot of equine nutrition and regional sales pieces. I uh, worked for a, a great guy that's still with the organization, David Nelson, brilliant marketing person. And let's see. Ah, yeah. Then I was traveling a lot between Chicago and the, we used to have racetracks in Michigan. We really don't anymore, but in, in Detroit. And then decided to start a family too. So I quit the traveling as much at that time. My daughter Mackenzie was born and it was in 99. And then uh, I went to work for a a community foundation here in, in um, Battle Creek. Uh, and through that process, when I started with the foundation back then, uh, our assets were 35 million and happy to say today, they're over 140 million. So that's been a, a really fun drive uh, and ride to, to, to build that. And then, um, so my son Reese was born in 2004. And so they've kind of just been, <laughs> had no choice but to be involved in servant leadership and such with and philanthropy through all of that. And in fact, Reese today, is, it, my, my husband's at the World Pork Expo today for his job, but my dad and, and son are, are, since I'm, I was taping this, they're out weed whacking and picking up golf carts, preparing for a benefit 5k race tomorrow morning. So not something my son thought he was going to do this morning, but that's where he's at. So the life of a farm so. kid, you just never know. That that is a resume right there. That is a true on resume. I you know I remember Kelly when you were in the ring judging, and everybody was afraid that Reese was going to be born at the horse show. 
right? Right. Most mostly the, the three guys that I was judging with. That was uh Mike Cocktail, Tim Finkenbeiner, and Terry Sartain. So we had a Kennedy, of course, puts on a great show. And this was uh, one of the earlier Tulsa March Manias. And I remember those guys called me. Uh, I think Mike did in February. He goes, you know, are you still coming to this horse show? And I said, well, yeah. And uh, he said, yeah, it's going to be kind of big. And I'm like, well, great. That's great. And he's like, um, you're, gonna, you're you're pregnant. And I said, yes, I am. <laughs> so so anyway, uh, Reese was born in April. Tulsa March Mania obviously was in March. And and with Karen's great leadership, that, that show went from, I don't know, 7 a.m. till 4 a.m. or something like that. And then we had to be back judging trail at 7 a.m. And uh, fortunately, Reese held out a few more weeks and um, was not born in Tulsa, but yet back here in Battle Creek, Michigan. So, yeah. <laughs> so he's been in the ring w- longer than he's been on the on the earth, you know. This is true. I, I, I think he must sense that in Tulsa, too. I don't know. <laughs> he recognizes Karen all the time. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you're also you're also involved with a lot of um, outside of just your everyday job gets paid, but you're also involved with other organizations, not just APHA, but other equine organizations, things like that. And one in particular that I want to talk about a little bit is your involvement with IEA, because you're involved there, uh, been been involved for a long time. And then IEA is I'll let Doc talk to this a little bit about their deal coming at our world show. Um, Why don't you talk about your involvement there at IEA? Mm-hmm. So my um, intersection with IEA is primarily through the National Collegiate Equestrian Association, uh, which is um, our, our, uh, the national advisory board for that, uh, the governing body for uh, collegiate equestrian at the D1 and A level. There's two approaches to collegiate riding, both great, both well uh, needed by our industry. And the NCEA is the one that's affiliated with NCAA, uh, National Collegiate Athletic Association. Through that, we have a partnership with IEA, uh, the Interscholastic Equestrian Association, which is just an amazing group that's really um, up and coming. I mean, they, they're, they've got one of the fastest growth charts right now of youth membership and, and school students basically geared towards uh, something that we should be looking at, which is, and it's fascinating to me, that's why I guess I'm, I'm so supportive of them, would be kids don't have to own a horse, but they're getting involvement and the instruction depending on their program. And then they, they're able to compete on teams. So it fosters a team environment, team skills, and it, and really brings them into the horse show world uh, without parents, you know, maybe that are, are not involved in our industry, having not having to make that giant capital expenditure investment when they when they first start. So I'm not saying that it's not, not still an outlay for parents to participate with that, but really is doing an amazing job of, of bringing youth into who are experiencing um, equestrian sport. Yeah. Well, they're, they're going to actually, they're a partner of ours now or affiliate partner, I guess you'd say. Um, they're actually going to do an event at our world show. Doc, you want to talk about that in just a minute? Yeah. It, uh, you know, f- f- several months ago, they approached us. Actually, it was through the, their uh, Western finals were originally held with NRHA and um Gary Carpenter approached me and said, you know, this is probably really a much better fit for APHA and it fits our strategic plan and our commitment to um, education and uh, uh, in our commitment to uh, NCEA. So they approached us about uh, uh, some time during the West, during the APHA world show and uh, to bring their 2021 Western finals to Fort Worth. And, you know, it, it worked out 
super well. And so I think it's going to be a good fit and we'll, we'll kind of see how we can do the best possible way we can do it this year. And then, you know, we think there's probably some things we can learn and grow with as we go along. And it just makes perfect sense for uh, the amount of money that we give uh, kids for scholarships and uh, uh, for us to engage with IEA. And uh, I think it's going to be a good partnership going forward. And, uh, and really, honestly, these kind of things usually are kind of complicated and difficult in year one, but they have not been this has not been nearly as complex as uh, some of the other things we've undertaken because of the uh, collective uh, uh, commitment of their staff and their volunteers. It's uh, been a good partnership. Go ahead, In fact, Bill. if I could give a quick plug, Stephen and Billy, uh, we're still looking at horses. Uh, if, if we have any any kind and willing folks out there, I know it's hard to uh, provide horses and, and collect horses for this event during our world show, but this is uh, June 30th and July 1st. We'll be there their competition and it's their Western national finals, as Billy mentioned, still could use some horses for that because the concept is they don't have their own horse. They're not riding. They might have horses, but they're not riding their own horse. And I know it's, it's difficult as, as we're very busy with the world show in those classes, but if anybody wants something truly inspiring, come on over and, and watch um, these, these young folks show that day because they're getting on a horse they've never seen except maybe warm up. They get out and they go show. And the level of skill and courage that that takes is, is very inspiring. Yeah, that's exactly what I was fixing to say. The we had a we did a podcast the uh, other day with Ty Hillman, and it was all about mental preparation and and being prepared when you go into the ring. But these kids, they they have they should have to be very mentally prepared because they have no time to practice on these horses that they're riding. It's it's jump on and and pie yeah, here we go. So uh, it's yeah, I agree. It's a lot of courage to do that. You think about some of the events that we do and and what it takes to prepare to show those horses. Uh, in any discipline um, can be pretty interesting just to jump on one and take off. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think I can do go a little farther on the shaming end and say, you know, it's really easy to talk about how we're pro and how a person's pro youth. It's another thing to actually do something about it. So uh, if you have some horses out there, you think might be, uh, we might be able to use with IEA, that would be a great uh, pay it forward kind of activity. Well, I'm happy Absolutely. to donate our racetrack horse that we just got off the track. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I've seen some of the ones they've had to step up on. He, he knows that. nothing at all and he can go in a straight line is about it, but Hey, you need a horse. Happy to there you go. There we go. Yeah. So it's all about spectator, right? You got to get the spectator right. ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Well, I have a question with your, with your background in not just equine, but all things kind of ag. What's, we don't, we, and Billy talks about this a lot, thinking insular, right? We, we kind of think in our own world, equine thinks about horses and then cattle think about cattle and they, you know, but I think there's a lot of crossover in either problems and challenges that we face or, you know, opportunities that are out there. What do you see is one first question is what do you see is some of the challenges that overlap uh, for equine or just the general ag? And then what is, what do you see as opportunities? Same question. Mm-hmm. So I think that certainly we have a lot more alignment, you know, and, and things together about the agricultural lifestyle. We talk a lot with APHA and, and our equine associations about this Western lifestyle that people all around the world crave. They, they want to be part of this. And, you know, no matter if we live in Maryland or California or Texas, it's part of this Western, this, this life. What we do is a, is a lifestyle 
activity. It could be a sport. It could be a hobby. It could be your vocation for many it is. So, so that part um, and being able to connect and have that intersection with other parts of agriculture, I think is, is really important. I think there's some really amazing opportunities to cross train in, in youth programming, for example. The Angus Association has an incredible program, a youth conference lead program, they call it. Some of the other livestock uh, groups do that as well. I would love to see some some cross-section between our youth and their leadership opportunities, not only with other breed associations, uh, but other live associations as well, because these young people that we should be instilling this this passion for our lifestyle, for this industry overall, of arching of agriculture, uh, the more that we can connect them at a younger age and not remain so secular within our species group, I, that's gonna that's an, an amazing opportunity because we all face a lot of the same challenges. There's challenge, you know, it's, you know there's no earth shattering uh, news about uh, what those challenges are. I mean, anything from, from animal rights to land use to other things that challenge our lifestyle. So, and our, our vocation and our world and our industry. So the more that we can uh, have some, some cross section of, of opportunity for our young people to work together, particularly, uh, you know, we all get really busy and showing and, and cattle people are no different and hot people are no different too. Uh, but the more that we can um, provide our young, uh, young folks chances to interact um, and build and, and build relationships now at early ages, I think is important. Yeah, I, I'm in a, or I was, we're fixing to graduate it now, but there's a program through Texas A&M called the Texas Agricultural Lifetime Leadership Program. And so I'm fixing to graduate that program, but over the course, it's a two-year program and it's all things ag. And so you have a mix, right? You've got someone for the forestry association, you got the equine associations, the cattle and farmers and ranchers and mixes them all in. And you go not only to the ranches and the farming locations, but you also go to the legislators in Texas. And then in, we went to Washington, D.C. and up in New York and all that as well. And the similar problems and challenges that they face is is amazing to think that we're all facing the same thing. Exactly like you said. And you get into the legislator up there in Washington and even the, you know, the congressmen and the people up there, they're still dealing with those same things. And it's it's about coming together as a community when when things need to happen, because there's like when that the whole trucking issue, when that whole deal came out and, the um, you know, logging your hours and all that stuff, ELD mandates, you know, that that was a huge thing for not only equine, but like the forestry association. That was a huge thing. Cattle haulers. That was a huge thing. Um, so it's interesting to, to think about that, that we just need to when things come together like that, you need to be able to jump together and stand in one force. Absolutely. It takes, there's, you know, each organization might have some staff that work with uh, youth programming. Uh, of course, Meg McMullen does, PHA, and have, and, you know, her working with uh, the guys over, it's, it's young people, there's a young lady at uh, Paul Herford Association, the Angus Association, National Beef, National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and doing some of those youth leadership things together, AQHA as well. Um, I think that that we could all come, come together and not have to reinvent the wheel on our our youth programming and uh, that cross-section building relationships so that then they all go into ne the next step of young professionals uh, programs like that, that you're going through, Stephen. And I, I applaud you for doing that because I think uh, that that young professional training and young is a, is a, is a broad term, um, but that, that leadership piece, I think uh, not only as youth members and young people, next level of young professionals like that you're doing, and going forward is, is so important to this organization and, and all of our ag-based organizations. Thinking of that, with your involvement with, um, as your you know, past lives in the 4-H community and as an extension mm -hmm. agent, um, how much crossover, just curious, did you see from 4-H into the, going into the horse show world? Mm -hmm. um, you know, interesting. 
not not a ton. I think we have to to look at that channel and that conduit. So um, everyone talks about, oh, we seem to lose these members after youth, and then when do how do we get them back? Well, if any many of you recall, after youth, a lot of are going into your first job in the military or you know into college. Probably not going to show right away. Um, some people still obviously are able to do that. But then how do we um, really focus on on the, the young professionals when you're out of the military, when you uh, have some time after you've had your first job, when you've had some time after you've graduated from college. So that might be an area that we can capture. I don't know that it's a, the best evaluation to look right as soon as someone completes their youth career, whether it's in the, at the breach level, uh, because there's there's a inherent gap that's that's going to happen. It's natural. That's that's a part of life. Right. Really hard to retain somebody during that time. But as far as from youth to the breed shows, I think I see different um, states have different uh, relationships, right? And, and a different path for students to that. I think the more that we can um, provide that relationship and opportunity for people, um, we have a lot more opportunities with this organization and then just showing their horse and can uh, become in, uh, involved with that. So I think the sooner that we can build a relationship uh, with young people, then the more we're going to retain them as they go forward in life. Right. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. Uh, curious thinking about young people, though. You have two younger younger kids, uh, Mackenzie and Reese. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I ask this to some people, but it's a do you did you give them the option to do horses or was that a it's pretty much we got horses. You, you're going to do horses. Well, what we don't, we didn't give our kids um, the option to work or not. So they work on farm and, or if they don't, you know, whether it's doing stalls, um, mowing, um, they can't do my favorite job, which is mowing pastures. Absolutely. My favorite job in the world. I get to do that one. Um, I love that. And I don't take my phone or anything, but they didn't have an option on working um, or in the house or anything like that. But what I, I and I've had that interesting yes, because I've had that question before. But how did you make Mackenzie show? And I'm like, no, at, at all. Fortunately, I was in the position where I always had horses to go. I wasn't going just for her um, for the most part. And, you know, if she wanted to show. That was great. Um, she often got herself ready her, you know, by herself, walk trot or whatever. I think she noviced out, I don't know, in a year because I wasn't really paying attention. She's like, can I go in this class? OK. But it, but the nice thing was for her. And I don't even know if she reflects on this. When we went to a horse show, she didn't have to show. She could go. She didn't even have to take her. You know, I, if I had the spot for her horse, her horse went. But it wasn't um, where she had to show. I didn't go just for that intention. I didn't fly there at the beginning just for her to show. So where others might not be in that situation of, you know, their horse is on the trailer with the trainer. That's why they're focused and they're going. And, and she didn't have that necessarily that pressure. Fortunately, she wanted to show. I don't think there were very many times that she didn't want to. But it wasn't with that intent. It was like, OK, here, here's your we'll take your horse if you want. You can ride it around or you don't have to show you can if you want. So there wasn't that that point of that pressure at that point. Right. So I, I think that that had made a difference. Yeah, you give her the opportunity. Yeah, it, Reese is always like, where's the show? Where, you know, <laughs> he, he bases his on, where's it at? What are the fun things to do there? <laughs> you know, Kelly, you skipped over something super important. Isn't mowing pastures the greatest thinking place maybe oh. on earth? Oh, it is so. And in fact, I was actually mad the other day. My husband mowed a couple pastures. And I came home and I'm like, why, why did you do that? He's like, well, they needed mode. I'm like, oh, no, that's what I like to do. Hmm. Get off the tractor, get off the mart. I like to do that <laughs> because I, I don't, I don't even wear ear pods. I just drive the tractor and you know, obviously you can't be on your phone and you, but the biggest thing for me too, in addition to not, you know, having that, that time is that I feel like I've accomplished something. I can tell that I've actually accomplished something at that moment. It's yeah. the best thing. I've it's, it's funny you say that, so, but it's also funny because 
as in life, there's, there's different periods in your life that that stuff actually affects you. Right. Because I remember growing up on the ranch and we, every summer we put up, Hey, we put up probably three to 4,000 round bales a year. Uh, and it was a lot. It was all day, all summer long. That's all you did was, Hey, and so you're riding a tractor all day, whether it's a cutting tractor, a rake tractor, bailing tractors all day long. And back then I hated it. It's like, this is awful. <laughs> This is not fun at all. You know, I'm like, let's get the horses, gather some cattle and let's brand as this is not fun for me. But as I've gotten older and, you know, had it now, I kind of have an office job, right? I'm not working the ranch like I was when I was a kid. Uh, you start to say, man, I kind of want to go back to those days. You, you, it's totally. a goal. You, you look at it, it's finished. It's like, man, I, I did all that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, yeah. I got it. It looks so much better. I accomplished it. Yeah. And there is nothing to me. There's nothing prettier now to look out in a field that's been cut, baled, raked and baled and sitting out there and looking good. And then the green grass starts to come up underneath it. But it's funny in your different forms of life. When I got done with college, it's like, I'm not going back to the ranch, starting a career. Here we go. See ya. I don't want any of this, you know, but now I'm like, man, I wish I could go back. Absolutely. I, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. There's no, there's nothing, there's no better place to think than on a tractor and, uh, uh, like, like Kelly, everybody here in the office hates it when I mow my pasture because I come back and say, you know, I was mowing my pasture. And I had I had a really good idea. And Stephen rolls his eyes and other people do as well. But but I'm, it's the best thinking in the world. I put earplugs in, jump on the tractor. No cell phone, no nothing. Mm-hmm. Just take off. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's my favorite. Well, let's talk about um, your involvement with APHA. Um, you've been involved a long time, I know as a judge and then as a competitor and, and all those aspects, but, uh, and on committees, but recently you would, well, I don't know how recently, I guess, recently you've been on the foundation board for a while. And then you just got on the executive committee to your second year, I think. Right. You know, I feel like I've lost this whole year of 2020 COVID year. So I, I, I have no, I'm not really good at the, uh, concept of time anyway, you know, <laughs> I meet somebody, I'm like, oh, you're, you're like still an amateur, you're still youth, right? And they're like, no, I'm 32. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I have no concept of that, but now I really don't because 2020 is like the year that never was. So I really couldn't, I don't know. Was it 2020? Was it 2029? I, I don't know. 20, 2020, I think is when you okay. got on actually. Yeah. Cause it, it was right before COVID hit that, uh, mm-hmm. that we had our convention down here. And I think you got elected during at a stockyards okay. convention. So yeah. Ask oh, I think about it the other way. It's the year that won't quit. <laughs> it just keeps going. Sure. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. So yeah. just curious, it, you know, to talk about those, um, those are volunteer positions it takes time out of your days. Um, you know, what, why, and I asked this to each of, we've interviewed several of our board members and committee members, but I asked this question because I think it's important for people to understand it is volunteer. So why do you volunteer your time to participate on these different committees slash boards? So I'm going to say that, um, that was something that, uh, it was inherent in, in my growing up, you know, with, with my parents about being involved, um, in the, where you live, where you live and reside and what you do and what you enjoy. So I hope my children do the same and were you involved in something. And so um, don't sit back and, and complain on the sidelines if you're not willing to get involved. And that doesn't mean you have to get involved and run stuff or things like that, but, but certainly to have a voice um, and to have what can you offer to be better on something. So, um, you know, certainly not everybody's good at everything, but what, what can you bring forward that you can help with, whether it's as, uh, I don't know, mowing the side, weed whacking, weed whacking, <laughs> my son's doing it my dad are doing this morning at a, at a 
in town or, um, you know, something that you, an initiative that you have an interest in. So I, I think um, the, the very core of that is that um, sense of servant leadership uh, that was instilled at, with us at a young age. I think that has changed a lot over the years. I mean, if you think back to the Rotary, the JCs, the, the Lions, those all used to be just stalwart pillars of communities and community engagement. And now you're pretty hard pressed to find anybody involved in those that are under the age of, you know, 70, probably at least here in the, in many of them, that's the national trend, uh, that, that community service organizations. And so to me that the horse industry is kind of, is, is a community. And so that, that involvement in this community has always been something that just, just as we've always just done, right. And been involved with. So I think the, I think the first, maybe the one I was involved with at APHA might've been that Breeders' Trust Task Force a few years ago. Um, and I'm just sitting, one of my passions, sounds very nerdy, but um, is organizational efficiencies and how things work and put, are put together. So I really like to think, how can we do this and just tweak things and make it better? Not always big new ideas. Maybe we're stealing. I love to steal ideas from other places and use them. But how can we make uh, organizations the most efficient and effective that we can? Uh, work, work smarter, not harder, those type of things. So with the Breeders' Trust Task Force, I remember being just really kind of interested and fascinated by how, if we move one thing, how that can change um, others. It's kind of like a big Sudoku puzzle, another passion of mine, Sudoku puzzles, but how we can, how things work. So we might uh, decrease the point, you know, number of horses in the class. Remember when we added, I can't remember when we did that, but, you know, down to, you can earn half points or something. So my question was, how does this affect the Breeders' Trust? How do we, how do we put that into it? And they're, well, it doesn't. Well, yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it most certainly does and impact that. So how, how it's like, like physics, actually, every decision or movement that you make affects. And so that's not a problem as long as you can identify what that be, what that would be. So pieces and parts uh, and align them and put them together to make organizations more efficient. It's just kind of a, a weird passion of mine. Right. Now, that's a great point to to talk about when you're talking about making changes. <clears throat> there is there's so many aspects to this industry, uh, you know, not just APHA, but just in general to the equine industry that when you make one change, it affects a lot mm-hmm. of things. Not maybe not maybe today, maybe not tomorrow, but at some point it could affect. Uh, I mean, you make a change in the rule book, it could affect so many different things across the board. And you just never it's hard to, you know, when it's again, you're kind of thinking about your own deal, right? We all, you know, as a roper, I think about roping as my wife is a barrel racer, I think about barrel racing, but, but you, it affects more than just your discipline or your uh, passions. Uh, so that's a great point to make. Yeah. Even, and you know what, a lot of people don't grasp and, and I appreciate Kelly thinking about these things is it's not just what the decisions your, your organization makes. There are other organizations and other entities and legislative bodies who can make decisions that can dramatically affect you. And understanding the whole interplay of that is super important. I, th- I don't know that associations do that particularly well uh, because of that tendency to think insularly. Well, that's, I think, uh, one of the keys to, and one of the Factors to me as we look at uh, progressive organizations, whether it be a for-profit or a non-profit, they're very similar just in how the, the governance is different, but uh, or they should be similar. Uh, of that, nothing exists, in, especially in today's world, 
of uh, that, that you can make insular decisions on. It's the, the context is just uh, everything's interconnected. So you can't make one move without it affecting something else, whether it's in, in business, in, um, you know, like a nonprofit, a breed registry, for sure. Um, every decision you make can have a long-term impact. And if we think, uh, I think it's dangerous thinking if we think that anything we do just affects us and our little piece of ground. Yep. It's, yep. Not true. it's deadly thinking. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to kill yourself. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, one more thing, because this appeal to this is actually you made me think of this, Stephen, is I had uh, I try to, you know, that whole learn something new every day. And I was in a meeting two days ago and somebody presented this piece that said, you know, um, you, if you don't have a mentor, not a mentee, a mentor today that's under 30, then you're losing out on a whole new train of thinking. And I was like, I had to think about that for a minute. And it was like under 30. Oh my God. Well, yeah. <laughs> because they were talking about an app called group me or something. And some, some 19 year old worker that wasn't doing something. He's like, well, yeah, I just took it on group me. And I'm like, I don't even know what group me is. And then, then somebody's like, yeah, if you had a mentor that was under the age of 30, and if you don't have that, you are missing a whole new line of thinking here. And I said, you know, that is, that is true. So true. Yeah. Yeah. It's so crazy. You bring that up, Kelly. So we had an interview with somebody. I wanted to, you had it. to do it. Didn't you Kelly? You had to bring up <laughs> it, age. It you had to do it. <laughs> so I won't spill the beans on who we interviewed yet. Cause it's going to be one of our podcast guests, but they were talking about the exact same thing. And so Dr. Smith here tried to tee it up and make fun of millennials. Right. And so he, he goes down this path and they start talking about, you know, you really should get a mentor uh, that's younger than you so they can help you with the thought process, so on and so forth. And I told Doc, and I'm going to say it again, Ben, you brought it up, Kelly. I am happy to be your mentor anytime, whatever you need. We can set up a weekly meeting. I'll mentor you along. No. Horrifying. The whole thing is horrifying. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll expect to see you two communicating on group me. Yeah. 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 I really appreciate, you know, this, this moment is, is probably the greatest moment of the whole podcast. For me. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Thanks Kelly. Uh-huh. Anytime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll get you back. So let's talk a little bit. We've got our world show coming up J- June 25th. Uh, lots of stuff going on in there, but one thing in particular that you're heavily, heavily involved with, uh, and you were last year and again this year as well is, um, our foundation auction that we'll do yes. and then other party and things. So talk a little bit about that, what people can expect and, uh, you know, where it's going to be, so on and so forth. So the APHA uh, foundation that many of you are aware of, I, I, to me is exciting because it's kind of it's in its infancy. And I kind of look back to um, when I first started with the, the Battle Creek Community Foundation, when we were in that, felt like the wild, wild west. We were in that, you know, 30, $35 million asset base. And I'm like, okay, so then we had just an amazing group at a, a, an incredible CEO. Um, that we just, you know, well, it was uh, to to go from that uh, 30 to 35 million, I think it was 32.5 back in 1999, 2000 to over 140, 145 million today, to me, it was just, it's just been crazy and incredible and fun growth. But part of that is about being, um, raising awareness of the foundation and how, and the good work that it can do. So I kind of, uh, that's why one of my great interests with the APHF, uh, American Payhorse Foundation is that, because I think it's, it's a, it's in that infancy growth stage, but it's 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 so ready to you know take off to really focus on some of the great things that we can do as an organization. So we have the APHF auction. Last year we had kind of a foundation street party. We had to do some planning on the on the fly because of COVID. Completely, you know, everybody was familiar with in every aspect of every organization and everyone's life. Last minute changes of everything. COVID changes. Well, this year um, I think we're, we're pretty excited. So. 
the auction isn't the event, but the auction is kind of a fun side activity to build and raise. Right? Uh, so, so we're going to have the Youth and Amateur Awards presentation, uh, the foundation celebration and party all together. And But the auction is kind of a fun thing that you're going to be able to do starting probably the end of next week. I think it'll go live. We have a platform called 32auctions.com and some amazing, incredible things that are uh, have been donated or secured by the committee. Uh, and then you can bid on it in a really fun platform, very easy. Again, 32auctions.com. But most of you will either get a, a Facebook push or some sort of social media push on that where you can uh, bid often, bid easily, and hopefully bid successfully on that. We're at, we adding, we had new uh, items up until, you know, the day of the event. So you can check back often, but the benefit of that, of, of from 32actions.com, of course, will go to the APHF um, to go to continue to do some of their initiatives with that, whether it be scholarships, um, a campaign that it was led by APHF to bring, uh, you know, help the, the office move to the stockyards and help it flourish in that platform and uh, other good work that would secure initiatives and activities, you know, supporting this Western lifestyle. So uh, I'm pretty excited. There's some really cool stuff this year. Um, anything from maybe some good deals from different clubs around the country have, have you know, made uh, show gift certificates where you can come show and that includes your stall shavings and, and entries to Rod Patrick uh, gift certificates for boots, um, uh, some other really cool things. A really, really cool pair, a uh, really cool item would be the this, this woolly chaps. I think they're made by a craftsman in Argentina. They're really, they look like uh, chinks, right? So, but but a woolly alpaca one it is, it is super cool uh, and and very, very neat items added daily on them. What's your, which one are you going to bid on, Kelly? I'm not. I'm going to bid on, <laughs> but I might be raising your bid. <laughs> that's auction 101 right there, Stephen. Yeah. Never let them know which one you're interested in. Ah, right? that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Doc's got one picked out that he said he was looking at. So I gotta, I gotta figure out which one that one is so I can raise his bid. Yeah. I have, you know, and I've, I even use burner uh, email addresses, so no <laughs> one's completely sure who, who bid. Right. And that, so you can see the bidding and goes back and then this, this will notify you by email, this, this platform, if you've been outbid. So as soon as you're outbid, you go back and like, what, someone else bid on that? No way. So last year, the last couple of years that we've used that, several people have commented to me, I it just can't get away from it. It, it emailed me at 2am and I just, I, I can't let someone else out get, be outbid. And so uh, that's, it's brought some fun going forward with that. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Docs, you got any more questions? If not, I've got a rapid round of questions I'm going to ask Kelly to let people get to know her a little bit better that are fun and a little more lighthearted. No, far away. I'll uh, I'll jump in. <laughs> okay, yeah. so just just kind of give me what you think is uh, uh, comes top of your mind when I ask these questions, Kelly. And it's just fun. No, it's what it, what's gonna yeah. come out of my mouth now. <laughs> it's it's not it's not too bad. So okay, um, arenas you've been to a lot through judging and showing so on and so forth. What's your favorite arena that you've ever been to? Oh my goodness! Favorite arena I've ever been to probably the Del Mar Fairgrounds, Del Mar Racetrack. It's on the it's on ocean in Del Mar, California. That's one of them. But there's a lot of really cool ones. Yeah, yeah. you can't recreate that view. Mm, it's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Western Pleasure or Hunter Under Saddle? Both. Both. You got to pick one. If, if, uh, she's not got to nah, commit. You got to commit. <laughs> got to commit. God says you can only do one. Which one? So no, oh, there a lot of horses going both. So love it. Yep. They have, I love the cadence of an equine athlete. Okay. I'll ask it a different way. English saddle or Western saddle? Love them both. <laughs> 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 All right. All right. Dr. Pepper or Coke? 
oh, neither. Oh, but we do call it pop. I'm not a pop drinker. How about water with lemon? Okay. All right. I can go, <laughs> I can go water with lemon. All right. Would you go back to Virginia or stay in Michigan? So I, I, I loved Virginia. I love that part of the country. Very beautiful in Blacksburg. I'm kind of a Midwest, um, except for in the months of mid January through mid March. Okay. All right. Amen to that. (laughs) If you could live in another country, where would it be? I love Italy. They talk fast, they drink wine and uh, they argue passionately and then they're all friends at dinner. Okay. So then uh, this might answer my other quick, my next question, Uh, mixed drink or wine? Oh, I'm a wine drinker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Doc, you got any quick fire questions you want to go with? Um, Hogs or cattle? (laughs) <laughs> I, I do love some cattle. We have, my dad just purchased a little, a uh, couple little, I don't know why I did this, just a novelty, uh, Scottish Highlanders the other day. And they're, they're pretty funny to look at. He likes them in a little pasture by his house. Uh, they're cute to look at, but I do, I am, in, I am so in love with some of these pigs right now. I don't know what I'm going to do if, if, when they don't come back from shows, this one named Candace right now, she's actually she's beautiful headed. She's so smart. Uh, she, uh, yeah, pigs right now for me. So Durox or Hamps? Mm, I like uh, a good blue butt with any of them, but probably more of a hamp for me, ah. which is a cross. Blue butts are the cross. York and hamp cross. So uh, what's the first word that comes to your mind when you think of sheep? <laughs> uh, not intelligent ruminants. <laughs> not intelligent ruminants. <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, great. I think we figured out your... Uh, uh, proclivities as as to what <laughs> livestock you like. So great. <laughs> thanks, Kelly. Thank you. This fun. Yes, Hope to thanks. see everybody bidding at the auction and then coming to watch the um, IEA Western Finals. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very much, Kelly, for taking the time to visit with us. And uh, if we don't hear from you or see you before, we'll see you uh, June twenty fifth ish. And uh, looking forward to our world show coming up. Great. See you in Fort Worth.